0: Hey friends! This week's episode of Space Castle contains quite a few spoilers for Star Wars and/or the latest series to hit Disney Plus. If you haven't seen the show already, I recommend going through and binging all the episodes. It's absolutely incredible, and you'll be doing yourself a favor if you're okay with spoilers. Please continue and enjoy. Welcome back to Space Castle, HR Clubhouse for all things nerdy. My name is DT, and when my friends in grade school all played Saved by the Bell, I was Mr. Belding. Friends, the first season of Andorra on Disney Plus has come to a close. I've got quite a few thoughts on how this first season wrapped up, but first, I want to preface this episode with some context about my relationship with Star Wars. You see, I am a lifelong Star Wars fan. From the time I was able to sit upright as a baby, I was already watching the original trilogy, and I've been enamored with it for literally as long as I can remember. The images of the Death Star Trench run, Han Solo frozen in carbonite, and Darth Vader's helmet being removed are burned into my brain and are core memories from a time when I couldn't even articulate what I was actually seeing on the screen. A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi are the reason I love movies. They're the reason I went to film school, and they're actually probably the first thing I ever really bonded with my dad over when I was a child. That being said, I am not a fan of the prequel or sequel trilogies. Like at all. In fact, Star Wars as a topic is something I've largely sort of avoided on Space Castle because everything that's come after 1983 has been so divisive, and it's just too easy to fall into that pit of arguing and debating, where both sides just sort of end up defending their own points of view without listening and keeping an open mind to the other person's view. I, personally, am probably more guilty of that than most people on the planet. I'm not a religious man, but at least two of the three original movies are something I consider to be holy. Right out the gate. I thought that the prequel trilogy was a terrible misstep and I think it absolutely worked to deflate the impact and tragedy of Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker as a character rather than to add layers and depth to his story. I'm sorry. I think it's a mess of green screens. I think it's got a lot of legitimately really good actors, for the most part, who end up just giving soulless performances because they've got nothing to latch onto emotionally on those sets. I think it's a story that meanders, it drags, and I think it was just at the whim of an older George Lucas, who I honestly don't think was fully invested in those movies, beyond just sort of playing around with modern technology. And now we've seen that the production of all three prequel movies were merely at the whim of George Lucas, and there are tons of videos on YouTube about important scenes that were cut, or reshot, or dropped entirely, and about how the films had to be restructured and sort of Frankenstein together because he would change his mind suddenly on the day of shooting a scene. I honestly feel like they're largely a mess, it took me a long time to both accept the fact that they're really not good movies, in my opinion, and to also create a lot of emotional and personal distance between them and the original trilogy. Uh, feel free to send your hate mail at spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> my headcanon for Star Wars is all kinds of fucked up, if we're being honest. Frankly, I only consider the first three original movies as canon. I kind of see everything else as people just doing what they want to do within that sandbox, Including George Lucas himself, who became a very, very different person from the time A New Hope came out to when The Phantom Menace began production. I think that there's some merit in a lot of the projects that came out during or after the prequel era. I think there's tons to enjoy in the Clone Wars series, for example, though I still honestly don't understand why the Jedi, who wholly distrusted Anakin Skywalker and they kept him on a tight leash, would allow him to have a Padawan. Even if it can be explained away as an exercise to try and get him to settle down and make him grow up. The Jedi still think that Anakin is dangerous, they feel obligated to keep him around in the worst sense, and it's reckless and it doesn't make any sense at all that they'd have him teaching someone else and passing on those dangerous thoughts and impulses. I'm sorry, I think Ahsoka Tano is an okay character in her own right, but the conception of the character has just never felt right to me and I'm actually honestly at this point really exhausted with Dave Filoni trying to force her into everything. I'm keeping an open mind on the Ahsoka series starring Rosario Dawson but I'm generally just not a big fan of anything Dave Filoni has done with Star Wars up to this point. On a side note, I actually think that the Clone Wars series, those shorts that aired on Cartoon Network created by Gindy Tartakovsky were fucking brilliant, and I wish we got a lot more of those. And then the sequel trilogy was announced, after Disney purchased Star Wars from George Lucas for a metric assload of money, and I allowed myself to get excited again. I thought that there was a slim chance that Disney would let anything out the door that wasn't top form, it wasn't doing right by the franchise. I thought that some fresh new ideas in Star Wars would breathe new life back into the franchise, and between that and everything Disney and Marvel were doing in the MCU up to that point, I thought it was just going to be a golden age of nerddom. They announced J.J. Abrams as the director for the first movie, The Force Awakens, and I got a little scared. Okay, that's a lie, I was actually pretty fucking anxious about him as the choice. I find J.J. Abrams to be a non-committal writer and director, and most of his stuff, I think, is pretty wishy-washy. He likes to build sandboxes and then lose his way as a filmmaker once they're built, or he likes to play in other sandboxes with wildly inconsistent results, like Star Trek. Then I saw the first trailer for The Force Awakens, and I'm gonna admit I was just as goddamn fucking hyped as everybody else. I loved John Boyega in Attack of the Block, and I was psyched to see him as the star. The Falcon looked great It was doing all kinds of wacky, wild shit in the few seconds we saw of it in the trailer. There was a new villain with a gimmicky lightsaber that I was actually kind of honestly okay with and on board with, uh, after some internal rationalizing. <laughs> and we knew Andy Serkis was in the film, and we knew he was doing the voiceover for the trailer. And Andy Serkis is almost always a reason to get excited about something. And then The Force Awakens came out, and it was, it was okay. I hated the death of Han Solo and how cynical it felt but I really dug Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, and I was along for the ride. I took it as a setting up of great things to come and a building of potential, and I was accepting of the movie as what I thought was going to be the opening chapter of a planned out trilogy of planned movies. And boy, was I fucking wrong. Look, I am notorious for hating The Last Jedi. I have spent way too many of my life minutes debating and reasoning with people both online and in person as to why I think it's a terrible film that actually fucking hates Star Wars and actively wants to deconstruct it and not in an artistic way. I absolutely despise the film. Once again, you can send that hate mail to SpaceCastlePodcast at gmail.com. And I feel that the only saving grace is that Mark Hamill is absolutely fantastic in it. And in retrospect, I actually kind of think we've been robbed of a fantastic on-screen career That could have happened right alongside his legendary voice acting career if he hadn't been unfairly pigeonholed as Luke Skywalker. And that, my friends, is all I've got to say on The Last Jedi. I won't say anything else. Actually, no, fuck that. I've got one more thing to say. Fuck that movie. In between the release of The Force Awakens and its sequel, which we will not name by name again, this plucky little movie called Rogue One came out. And you know what? It was actually just enough to bolster my fandom and my love of Star Wars enough to keep it alive during what I consider to be an absolute fucking onslaught of garbage that was to come. Rogue One came out in 2016. It was directed by Gareth Edwards, and it was co-written by Chris Weitz and a gentleman by the name of Tony Gilroy. And we're going to talk about that dude, Tony Gilroy, in just a little bit. I'm getting there, I promise. I really love Gareth Edwards' Godzilla movie from 2014. A lot of people think it's slow and it's boring, and those people are just frankly wrong. I grew up loving the classic Toho Godzilla movies and kaiju movies in general, and I thought that Edwards' Godzilla movie nailed the tone and feel, especially of the 1954 classic, the original. It's very film snobbish, and fuck it, I'm going to say it because I'm a film snob. I think anybody who hates the 2014 Godzilla movie just doesn't understand it and what it was trying to achieve. And what it does try to achieve, I think it absolutely succeeds on. Anyway. I was really excited to see a Star Wars movie from a filmmaker and writers who I knew to take their time with a story, to tell a story with a grand scope, and without losing sight of the characters on the ground level and all their struggles. The cast is fantastic. Donnie Yen especially is a standout for me. I think he's just wonderful. The movie is largely enjoyable, and I finally had something that I was almost okay with including in my headcanon along with the original three movies. Apparently, though, Disney didn't agree, and they locked Gareth Edwards out of the editing suite, and they finished the movie without him or his input. Apparently, the incomplete first film that J.J. Abrams put together and the self-loathing piece of shit that Ryan Johnson put out were acceptable by Lucasfilm and Disney standards, but a straightforward movie set on the ground level of a war with compelling and complex characters and the balls to hint at the fact that the rebellion, the good guys, are actually kind of pretty terrorist-y in their actions wasn't acceptable. We can't have depth and complex storytelling in Star Wars, y'all. I would actually really love to see a director's cut of Rogue One but we probably never will, and that sucks. But it will eventually lead into something really great. And I keep saying this, but we're getting there. I promise we're almost there, and we're going to talk about what came of Rogue One very, very soon. But before that, just a month before The Rise of Skywalker, the final in the sequel trilogy came out, Disney Plus launched, and they had The Mandalorian as one of its flagship titles for launching that new streaming platform. I was jazzed for it, because I'm a big old fucking sucker for Star Wars. It looked like the potential grittier, dirtier underbelly of Star Wars that we hadn't seen since Empire Strikes Back, and I was eager to see if it was any good. I generally dig John Favreau as a filmmaker, and Pedro Pascal is a fun electric performer. He's a blast. I even hosted a viewing party at my apartment and had a bunch of friends and family over gathered in my living room to watch that first episode. And it was good. It was pretty good. And the series kept being pretty good until it just kind of stopped being pretty good. It still got its moments here and there, and the second season has that episode with Bill Burr that I think is just a banger. But as the first season went on, and especially into that second season, it became more and more apparent, at least to me, it was just Dave filoni smashing action figures together and and I honestly think that John Favreau was just much more interested in playing with the gadgets that technology developed for that show. And I don't think anybody was really fully invested in telling a deep, meaningful Star Wars story, honestly. To me, every emotional beat in The Mandalorian is either sort of a cheap ploy or it's just tugging at nostalgia heartstrings. And it fucking sucks to say that, because I was on board with it initially, and I'd still really like for the third season to be good, and I'm just really tired of people creating Star Wars projects for their own edification and satisfaction, rather than doing the universe justice and just telling good stories within it. And I'm not going to talk about The Rise of Skywalker, which came out shortly after that. I saw it in the theaters purely out of obligation, like a sense of like completionism, I think it's an absurd and sloppy piece of shit, and honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I say that without bias. If I hadn't already been slapped in the face with The Last Jedi, shit, I said it by name. And honestly, if I wasn't in fear of my Star Wars fandom already being in question, I would have been absolutely livid with the release of The Rise of Skywalker. It's that fucking bad. Instead, it passed from my memory as a couple of wasted hours that honestly could have spent better huffing paint, or running headfirst into brick walls, or... Uh, seeing what that Tide Pod phase was really all about. I saw the movie the one time, I'll never see it again, and that's it. And that brings us to 2022 and the release of Star Wars Andor on Disney+. Plus. I still like Rogue One quite a bit, despite knowing that Disney chopped up what could have been an even better film, and because of that, the announcement of Andor did not excite me. Why was Disney going back to the well with a movie they were too afraid to release before, and instead cut to ribbons after they fired its director? and after redoing much of the last act before eventually releasing it? like What was there to be gleaned or gained from telling the story of a character we've already seen on screen die? Why would Tony Gilroy come back and be the showrunner after what must have been a terrible experience with Rogue One, other than maybe seeing dollar signs and chasing a big, easy paycheck? I really thought that Andorra was just going to be minimal effort. I thought it was just going to be another show to pad out Disney's constant need for ever-flowing content into both theaters and Disney+. And I really thought it was going to suck. I knew it was going to suck. I was telling my friends that it was going to suck. So of course I couldn't wait to watch the first two episodes the day they dropped. (laughs) (laughs) And, fuck, I fell in love with it, immediately. Here was that ground-level storytelling I craved, focused in that underbelly of Star Wars, away from the gloss of the prequels and the sequels, away from the pounding of action figures into each other, and a story about a desperate man, willing to take lives if he needs to and feeling like shit about it, but just trying to make his way through the galaxy in one piece. And then the third episode came out. And then another, and another. Until I realized I hadn't been this excited and enthusiastic about a Star Wars project since I was a little kid watching the original trilogy. Wednesday evenings became the highlight of my week, and I was actually fully enthralled by the show that I was absolutely positive it was going to be a waste of my time. Friends, Tony Gilroy has pulled off a goddamn miracle with Endor and I am still in awe of what he and his team have accomplished, and that honestly Disney ever allowed it to even come into being. Here is a show set in a franchise that so many people consider to be just for children, where the characters are actually three-dimensional people. Even the good guys do questionable things, and where storytelling is first and foremost, and the Star Wars trademark is merely the backdrop for telling the story. I honestly didn't ever think we'd see again a piece of media that wasn't Star Wars first in all capitals, and all the details and storytelling being entirely secondary to the brand name itself. We go several episodes into Andor before we even see a stormtrooper. This is not a show that's enslaved to the iconography. It isn't about just sitting around and waiting for a Jedi to show up with his lightsaber and do all the things. It's about an actual character and the people he comes into contact with living actual lives, getting their hands dirty, and the sense of dread and oppression they all live under as the Empire rules everything is palpable. It's a show that's largely shot on location, outdoors, in the wind and sunlight, instead of in front of green screens or volume screen sound stages. It feels tangible, it feels lived in, and not sterile and made for just the sake of playing with technology. The technology that is used to produce the show is merely a tool to tell the story, not a story being a vehicle to sell the technology. My mind is fucking blown, y'all. First off, the cast is incredible. I have been a huge fan of Diego Luna since first seeing him in Itou Mama Tambien, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. He's a wonderful, understated actor who tells the story with just his eyes, and that comes into play heavily while he's playing Andor, somebody who isn't forthcoming with his emotions until he's forced to spill them out, either in anger or in desperation. He anchors the show, and he does it wonderfully. Cassian Andor is a man with a good heart, but he's always living on the brink of self-destruction, and he only comes into contact with the early form of the rebellion through circumstance, and only decides to get directly involved because it will get him paid and keep him alive. Perhaps, though, the absolute powerhouse of the show is Stellan Skarsgård as Luthen. Holy fuck. Luthen puts on a show of being an antique dealer on Coruscant, but he's actually secretly working to formulate cracks in the Empire in hopes of one day bringing it down in a fire of revolution. His methods are questionable, he's ruthless, he makes deals with extremists in his efforts to spark a rebellion, I've talked about it on Space Castle, but there's this scene early on in the series where Luthan is going about transforming himself from the rebel we know into his facade as a well to do affluent shop owner. And the scene is just staggering. Skarsgård is a master performer, and watching him physically and mentally change into another character played by a character he's already playing is incredible. And he's repeatedly gifted these scenes to play in where Luthan is mysterious. And unsavory and untrustworthy, and we don't know what to make of him, or if his ends justify his means. He's got these incredible monologues that would feel like rehearsed speeches by a lesser actor, and he makes them feel natural, like he's speaking passionately as the character he's playing. It's inspiring and it's moving. If he's not in the discussion for Emmys or other awards, then those award shows are just a fucking waste of time, let's be honest. This is a show that's entirely driven by the characters and each actor is allowed wonderful moments and beats to make us believe these characters are actual people. Cyril Karn, played by Kyle Solar, is an insufferable bootlicking corporate stooge who's entirely committed to the Empire, largely because it's the status quo, and he sees himself climbing the corporate ladder as his goal, and being a cog in the imperial machine as his duty. He's a full-on fucking fascist. And he gets knocked down and emasculated for it, back to living with his mother in her apartment, getting belittled by her at every turn, and while we don't necessarily feel bad for him, we as the audience do sort of end up with conflicting feelings about him. Until he goes full fucking simp for an Imperial agent, and then we're ready for the bad shit to really start happening to him. But that's the point I'm getting towards. It's like, we're compelled even by the villain's stories in this. There's intrigue and interest in Cyril's story, and how he keeps insisting on making himself Andor's foil in this story. Denise Goff plays an Imperial agent who is hot on the heels of both Andor and Luthen, and sees the forming of the rebellion well before her superiors do. We don't want her to succeed in navigating the bureaucracy of the Empire, getting the resources and the recognition she needs to chase down our heroes and win, but the way this show presents her story is still really fucking compelling and fun. She's one step ahead of everybody else around her, but the constant posturing and self-preservation of her colleagues keeps her from succeeding, and she has to force her way into achieving her goals. We have never seen this level of depth in storytelling in Star Wars. And given how Rogue One was treated, I didn't think we ever would. The rest of the cast is wonderful. Adria Arjona as Cassian Andor's friend and confidant, Bix, is an absolute discovery. Joplin Sipstein as Brasso brings gravitas and warmth to every scene he's in. Genevieve O'Reilly as electric as Mon Mothma, who I really thought was going to be the least interesting part of this show. I really believe that Mon Mothma's story was just merely going to be filler and kind of illustrate the machinations of the rebellion on a grander, more political scale while Andor's more interesting actions would represent the ground floor of the rebellion, and that would just kind of be it for Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma's story does do that, but O'Reilly is given so much to do as Mon Mothma, and it's absolutely staggering how engrossed and intrigued I am just by watching her navigate social political gatherings, her own rocky marriage, and sorting out her bank accounts (laughs) while carrying around this deadly secret that she's funding and organizing a rebellion while also being a significant figure in the government she's conspiring against. Lots of familiar faces show up as the season goes on, including the excellent Faye Marseille, who you'll recognize from Game of Thrones, Fiona Shaw is phenomenal as Marva Andor, Cassian's conflicted mother, and even Forrest fucking Whitaker comes back as Saw Gerrera, who shares some incendiary scenes with Stellan Skarsgård that will have you rewinding the show just to watch these two heavyweight badass actors put on a fucking clinic. And last but not least, we have several episodes featuring Andy Serkis, who finally gets his time to shine in Star Wars after being completely shafted while playing Supreme Leader Snoke in that other Star Wars movie I won't name by name. Serkis plays a prisoner in a facility that Cassian Andor finds himself in after some all-too-realistic run-ins with some Imperial officers. Serkis plays a man without hope who gets through every day by clinging to structure and mental rigidity. The concept of a prison break later in the season and escaping is almost just inconceivable to him, and possibly even terrifying because he's become so institutionalized. But his character, Kino, has one of the most profound and moving arcs in the season, some of the most fist pumping moments in the show, and his last scene is just horribly fucking gut wrenching and tragic. It's a wonderful performance. The writing for the show is amazing, and it allows all these characters and these actors to shine. The story is allowed to breathe and move at its own pace without feeling like it's meandering or filling up screen time. It's careful, it's calculated, and it's written by people who understand how to write intrigue and compelling, conflicted characters. Bringing in Beau Willimon, who actually developed and ran House of Cards for four years, was an inspired choice for the writing team. The balance between action, character moments, political intrigue and machinations, and sentimentality is just fantastic. I could go on and on about this show for several more hours and how wonderful it is, and how much I'm surprised by it, and how it's literally the best Star Wars project to come out in my lifetime. I would be terrified, honestly, that Disney wouldn't have allowed a second season if it wasn't already going into production. And even though I've been burned by getting excited about Star Wars time and time again, I legitimately believe that Tony Gilroy and his crew will stick the landing with season 2, and it will have two pretty damn impeccable pieces of Star Wars media to hold on to as time goes on. The only thing that would make this whole thing sweeter would be if Gareth Edwards got to come back and direct a prominent episode or two in Season 2 and get a little bit of that Rogue One redemption action that's going around here. I really hope that Disney and Lucasfilm realize going forward that it's okay to have differing tones for Star Wars projects, and that so much of the fan base is made up of people like me, you know, older fans in their 30s who crave measured storytelling with restraint and common sense and that programming like Andor can exist alongside the action figure smashing of Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Keeping the audience broad and appealing to multiple demographics is a smart thing to do, and that honoring that Star Wars isn't a one-size-fits-all product that should just be used to sell toys and fucking tickets to Disneyland. If you haven't seen Andor yet on Disney+, and you've listened to this episode, I implore you to give it an honest shot. There's so much here to love and appreciate, and if nothing else, just respect it for the fact that it takes risks and challenges the audience in a way almost entirely unheard of anymore in perhaps the biggest media franchise ever. And that's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble and gush about this incredible show, Star Wars Andor, and for listening to me bitch about how much I've been burned by Star Wars over the last 20-odd years. (laughs) Once again, you can send me your hate mail at spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com, or you can find Space Castle on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the handle at spacecastlepod, and you can find video content at youtube.com slash at SpaceCastlePod. got all kinds of fun series going on there. I really recommend you guys checking it out. We're having a blast doing it. Just by listening and watching, you're helping support the show, and you're inspiring me to create new videos and podcast episodes every week, and I love you for that. But if you want to take it a step further and become an official member of the Space Castle Galactonaut crew, you can do so at patreon.com slash pod. My name is DT, reminding you to take care of yourself and be good.